Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Random Citizen. This is actually an episode that you might have already heard before if you've been a listener from the start. This is because we are currently in the process of repurposing all of our old podcast episodes and cleaning up the entire feed. These changes will allow listeners to enjoy the best episodes and highlight the most insightful content. Now, if you're newer to this podcast and wondering where to find or why you can't find season one and two, don't worry. They'll eventually be available on our website, torqueunited.com. After we do some fun, dare I say, innovative things with them, but stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we plan to release rewinds every other week to repurpose older podcast episodes And this will simply just allow listeners to revisit classic content from insightful and featured guests and enjoy it in a new light at a different time in their life to hopefully provide a new perspective. At the end of the day, it's our intention to bring the best possible content to you. So enjoy this repurposed rewind. But at the end of the day, sticks and stones, people break your bones, but words shouldn't really hurt you. I'm the kind of person who really likes to get to the bottom of things. And I don't let my own belief system get in the way of fact. It's one of the most important financial centers in the world. But in terms of freedom of speech, expression and civil liberties, it's a dictatorship. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Random Citizen. I'm your host, as always, Hugh. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. This is a podcast that is oriented around a bit of everything with a highlight on entrepreneurship and investing. We dive into some philosophy here and there. I get some scientists on from time to time, but we really just talk about everything and I like to bring different perspectives to maybe the same conversations that you've heard over and over again. And speaking about that, I'm assuming you've heard a lot about crypto and NFTs. And we have an amazing guest on today to talk about that specifically. Tim Holderson is the CEO of Lunar Strategies. And Lunar Strategies is a crypto and marketing agency. We talk about how they specifically navigate through the oh-so-wonderful thing of regulations, use cases of NFTs in the real-world scalability, and layer two solutions, smart contracts, and a bunch of everything. But it's going to be in real simplistic terms. So hopefully, if anybody's really curious about that, Uh, It's good information, and it's not too simplistic because I know a bit about the space myself, and I learned some things on this episode. So one more thing I did want to mention before we dive into the episode, Lunar Strategy and collaboration with Tim, who wrote the book, actually just released a new book, I think about last week. So the book is called The Only Guide You Need for Crypto and NFT Marketing actionable strategies and real world examples from the leading crypto and NFT marketing agency, Lunar Strategy. I'll attach it in the show notes if you guys are interested. I read it. It's a fantastic and informational read. So if you are an entrepreneur venturing out into this space, if you're an existing business, 
considering this space, Tim has packed that thing with great information. So give it a read. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. All right. I am here today with Tim Holderson, CEO and founder of Lunar Strategies, uh, leading NFT and crypto marketing agency. I'm really excited to have you on, especially considering you're not too far away from me. <laughs> so I appreciate that. And thanks for joining. I know that you are based out of Portugal, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But I also know you from Sweden. So I wanted to ask you a bit about what it's like growing up there, kind of where you're from. And just can you elaborate on Sweden for us? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so Sweden is a very cold country up in the northern northern Europe. Uh, I grew up in Gothenburg, uh, which is the second largest city of Sweden on the west coast. It's uh, Sweden is a lovely place in many ways. Very, very secure. Very, yeah, like a safe country to live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, my both of my parents were artists. So they are coming kind of from an art background, but both of them have always been working for uh, for themselves most of the time, doing like running businesses and so on. One of the downsides, however, with Sweden is that uh, it's not so uh, small business friendly because of like how taxes works, how uh, yeah, how it is to set up a business in Sweden. So. It, it, or it depends a little bit how, how you view it, but it's very high taxes when it comes to running a business. So overall, a great country to live in, safe, but it's also not so like, I've always been interested in tech and mm-hmm. working in tech, crypto. And then I saw like um, Sweden as a little bit too, too small place to be in. Mm-hmm. And here in the, yeah, overall in Europe, there are many other cities that are more in the forefront, and among them, uh, Lisbon, mm-hmm. uh, where where I moved to around three years ago. Sweet, yeah, and that was going to be my next question, which is okay. Now you've moved to Portugal and Lisbon. Why the move, and then how much do you like it there? Yeah, or- originally I moved to Lisbon because of uh, work, uh, so I got an offer to work in uh, within marketing for a company here. Uh, so my first year and a half, I was working uh, for a company. And then when COVID happened, then in the end, when, always when I was working for the company, I was on the side uh, doing freelance work, consulting. And then during COVID, we started to work from, from home. Mm-hmm. And... That gave me an extra two hours in the morning, an extra hour or two in the evening to continue with the freelance work. And then afterwards, it grew into a, a business. And um, so then living here in Lisbon, it, um, it's, it's an incredible city. So I initially moved for work, but stayed for the, for the good weather, good community and uh, good tax regimes for small businesses. Nice. So with that initial job that you had landed, was it a Portuguese speaking job? Like, did you already, were you already fluent in the language? Kind of, can you walk us through that a bit? Uh, yeah, no. So 
quite a lot of um, Swedish jobs are being outsourced to Portugal, uh, to Spain, some of them as well, and to these countries because of it's quite expensive to hire people in Sweden working mm-hmm. full time. So uh, the job I did was marketing, uh, marketing slash support for a company. So it was a Swedish speaking um, a company. Okay. And so, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So that means what you work for a Swedish company, everything is, you know, Swedish, but then you're just living and being paid over in Portugal kind of thing. More or less. Yeah. And okay. for the company, probably they say probably closer to 50% on the cost mm-hmm. of having an employee in uh, Portugal. I know it's similar in, in uh, Barcelona, a lot of, um, a lot of different companies from Sweden and Nordic countries moved there because I think I'm not sure about the exact, but I think it's around half the cost for an employee in Spain or Portugal compared with Sweden. So how do you see, and I guess we won't dive too much into this, but I'm just kind of curious, how do you see that kind of progressing in the future? If that's, you know, that's kind of the mindset of these, you know, Swedish companies is to outsource not even like their own citizens abroad i guess how do you see that progressing it's uh, when uh, when more and more people are working more and more people are working remotely so i can just say like example my my father uh, he's working as a consultant for a traditional airline company as mm-hmm. it's within scrum so he's uh, and when in Sweden, there's been like recommended to work from home. But what happened then was that he spent the whole summer or two, two months in France working from like a caravan, uh, still paying taxes in Sweden, uh, working with his Swedish colleagues in Sweden. So like even more traditional companies, as soon as you have work from home, why can you not do that from, uh, from another country? And yeah. when the when the cost of living is much lower in Spain, Portugal, Italy, Greece as well, uh, then I, I see no reason why it will not increase. And especially when in Sweden, six months of the year, it's like dark, snowy and very cold. When you kind of can take the best out of both places, the high paying job from Sweden living in a lower cost country i can't, i it, i have a hard it's hard to understand why it wouldn't grow yeah yeah i was about to say you got to be loving the sun down there right now especially what february and it's already sunny <laughs> yeah uh, yeah the spring is all already here and uh, you can have like go outside with like just a shirt on and yeah it's uh that the sun is already already here and back in Back in Sweden, like a year ago, I was back in Sweden in February. Then it it was minus 18 degrees. Of course, that's nice for like if you go there on a week for holiday to experience the cold because you, but to live, it's it's a little bit tough during the the winter half of the year. Long winter, yeah. On to what you do now, being the CEO of Lunar Strategies. First off, for those who might not know, can you walk us through what a crypto marketing agency does? Yeah. So the crypto market is a market that has been growing over the last, let's say, five five years. Uh, mostly, like before that, it was barely 
anything. And so in the crypto uh, crypto marketing agency, what what we do is we help different kinds of companies to market and make sure that their crypto products are being seen. This can be, for example, maybe they're raising money through uh, cryptocurrencies. It can be that they are working with payment solutions for for cryptocurrencies. It can be gaming companies that want to add some crypto component to their game. So basically, all different crypto companies that in some way work with cryptocurrencies, then we help them to explain it to a broader audience and make sure that they can get their word out there. That is by using, for example, paid advertising, public relations, social media. Okay. As opposed to just a traditional marketing agency, why uh, the specific focus on crypto? Initially, it came from, I started with cryptocurrencies in 2017. And then I started consulting for some businesses. And quite early, I saw that the more traditional agencies had a very hard time to handle it. And that came from that Facebook uh, now known as Meta, uh, mm-hmm. Google, Instagram had very, very strict policies for cryptocurrencies. That meant, and also Twitter. So what happened was all ads account got disapproved. It was very hard to uh, convey their the messaging without understanding the crypto aspect of it and the audience as well as it's uh, more focused on a community building. So there are a few different components. And when I started consulting in the beginning, I right away saw that um, there was a lot of unhappy clients that had worked with traditional agencies. And it was hard to take the more traditional wisdom to the crypto and apply it in in an efficient way. So... So the the interest was there, and then uh, we started. I was writing a blog, and then the blog started catching a lot of interest. So basically, I was writing how to set up ads on Facebook as a crypto company, how to set up ads on Google as a crypto company. And then the interest for these articles just grew on Google, and then the traffic came in. And yeah, after some time, it turned into more and more clients, and and the more you the more you go into something, the more you learn, the more the ways improve. And then after that, it has been focusing on yeah, hiring like-minded people and people that both understand the crypto and the marketing side. And then yeah, it just grew and grew and grew over the last two and a half years. Nice. Congratulations, man. That's exciting stuff. You were mentioning some policies um, via Facebook, Instagram, traditional marketing agencies and stuff. What were these policies that were making it so difficult? Um, So what happens with every new kind of a market is that it will always be kind of like infiltrated by the bad players. So that you can see same similar in like the casino industry. So what happened is that from the standpoint of 
Facebook, for example, is that if you click on an ad on Facebook, in some way, it's kind of like Facebook has approved of the message because otherwise they wouldn't show it on your platform. Mm -hmm. If Facebook approves of messages that leads to people being, for example, losing money or leading to companies that are not trustworthy or uh, honest companies, then Facebook get a bad rap and it leads to that people are less likely to trust ads on Facebook. So what happens then is that Facebook are stand like are in a position where they need to protect themselves. And how do they do that? Yeah, by doing their best vetting of all advertisers to make sure that only the, the like the good companies, good products are being shown on Facebook as ads. And this is very hard when they have billions and billions of ads on the platform. And then they have different kinds of algorithms, screening processes that are both manual. So like a human is viewing the ad and they also have crawling bots that crawls both the ads and the landing page. So even though you might be like a, a trustworthy company, then Facebook is not reading your website as that. And what Facebook does then is that they suspend you for any kinds of different policies. Same goes with Google and Twitter. So you could see that it was a lot of people getting suspended without understanding why, because they did not understand the way Facebook, Google, Twitter interacted with approving or disapproving policies. Okay. You kind of just answered the question, but how does a lunar strategy navigate those kind of same difficulties and how do you guys do it differently? Well, for from to start with, Facebook has made it very clear in their help center. So mm -hmm. Facebook has help centers where they have long, long, long articles with quite complicated language about what is approved and what is allowed. So by... Uh, the people in our side that works on the Facebook side, carefully reading it. And also uh, in the beginning, it was a bit of trial and error as well, because that's always a combination of that. So around two years ago, it was quite some trial and error. But now after two years on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, I know that myself and two other of our uh, marketing uh, managers kind of knows them in and out like okay so watching a project this will be approved this will not be and then also we have a very helpful account manager at facebook that is helping and guiding us and making sure that we are up to date with what's going on moving away from the marketing side of your business i want to shift to how exactly nfts relate to your overall company strategy yeah, so NFTs is a it's a thing that kind of has been there in the crypto world for a few years. Uh, I, I got in the beginning it was more in the gaming, um, but an NFT stands for non fungible token. Um, it is kind of a way 
of showing that you own something digitally. Uh, with that said, so, and lately it has been a lot of different art combined to it. Uh, some people are using NFTs as kind of like as a share in a company. And there's a, lots of different utilities or like how people use NFTs. Uh, for our company, we, we, have, we are selling some of our services as an NFT. And basically the NFT is on OpenSea. When you buy the NFT, you get access to a link where you can book a meeting with somebody from our team, and then you get a nice design from it. So yeah, NFTs is something that will transform over uh, the coming coming years. And it's quite early what you can do with it. Some, some people maybe, you know, one of the leading marketing uh, gurus, uh, Gary Vee. Mm, yeah. So he is one of the ones like in the forefront. And what he did was he created his own NFT. Uh, this NFT, what he added to it was uh, three tickets to his VCon, which is like a conference about marketing and about business and entrepreneurship. So if you can, if you have the NFT, that means that you have like a long string of a a string of code which is the private key if you can prove that you own this private key then you can get access to this conference tickets three years in a row and, and this is a very interesting like way of adding real world assets to an nft and that's definitely something that we are doing our clients are trying to do and now you also see yeah larger companies like Adidas uh, has entered with some NFT collaboration. Also, uh, Gucci did some NFTs quite recently where they basically attach it to a, a kind of like a Gucci sculpture in different mm -hmm. ways. And it's an interesting, interesting thing. And I think we are now in just in the beginning on learning on how it can be used. Yeah companies in different ways yeah 100 i was actually probably an hour before this listening to a gary v podcast episode where he was talking about nft applications and he was saying that it was kind of that same light you know he sells this nft to someone and they have front row seats to every single one of his conferences through the rest of the life and then also like one-on-one -on -one meetings with him and i'm like that's a pretty good nft to purchase there so it's it's really fascinating to see all of these real life integrations and applications that are stemming from nfts obviously uh, gary v being a leader in that space for those who might not be extremely familiar they maybe hear nfts and then in the same light they hear smart contracts are these things different or are they one and the same and then can you kind of elaborate on that yeah so an nft is kind of like um, it is a smart contract per like uh, the definition. So a smart contract is basically a, a code that is automatically triggered and set up by different kinds of rules. Myself, I will be completely honest, when it comes to some of the most technical, uh, technical setup and like a figuration of uh, smart contracts, then maybe I'm not the right person to ask. But when it comes to how to use them, then like and the utilities and how you can use them, 
that's kind of where I come in with more of my uh, expertise. And a smart contract is basically like what it, what the name is, a smart contract. And that is that you add a piece of code where, and then you kind of like close the contract uh, or sign the contract with a private key. And then it's not possible to corrupt the contract. So you give a contract specific kinds of rules and code, and then you sign the contract, and then it's not possible for for you to go in and change the contract afterwards. And an example of a contract can be lending out money. So if you have uh, $10,000 worth of Bitcoin, then you can lock up this $10,000 worth of Bitcoin in a smart contract with like a, a company, and then you can get a loan for, uh, let's say, 7,000 out of those 10,000. So you, you kind of use your Bitcoin as collateral in the smart contract. Then afterwards, this smart contract is based so that if you can't pay back the dividend, pay back the interest on it, then it will automatically go to the person that issued the loan to you. And also if the price of Bitcoin goes down to a certain level, then the uh, smart contract can be automatically liquidated and send the money back to the person that lend out the money to begin with. So it's kind of different, ki- different kinds of applications where you take out the human error aspect of a contract and it's only digital, not possible to corrupt. And then it's based on a blockchain, for example, Ethereum, Solana, or different kinds of uh, blockchains. Okay. And yeah, and so I was hearing someone speak about other use applications, walking a dog with a collar on it. So if you have like a contract with someone to walk five miles, their dog, and then that smart collar can track their mileage, you know, their kilometers, if we're over here, (laughs) and then it kicks in once they're done, and the dogs return back home. And immediately without any anybody doing anything, that fund that whatever 20 euros, I don't know how much it costs to walk a dog, uh, gets sent over to that person. And then other practical applications would be like, if an airline's delayed, you know, the airline industry just directly sends a payment over to the customer for the whatever was agreed upon. So with the potential, especially with that caller being in the growing internet of things, where do you see Ethereum, Solana, and all of these projects moving forward? And do you see an issue potentially with scalability as these, obviously the internet of things, there's you know trillions of things that would be included. Do you see an issue with scalability or? Um, myself, I see it quite a lot like, I read a book a few years ago about explaining Bitcoin as the digital gold, Mm -hmm. Ethereum as the digital oil. Mm -hmm. So Ethereum is the thing that kind of runs everything day to day. And Bitcoin is the store of value that like uh, where you can store the value. And in in that front, uh, so Bitcoin is very slow. Uh, the network updates every around 10 minutes. Uh, with Ethereum, it updates the network every 10, 12 seconds. 
So Ethereum is uh, much faster, but is very hard to use on a day-to-day when you need the transactions to be instantaneous, like within a millisecond. So what is currently being built and what is currently uh, yeah the main focus for like the whole crypto community is building uh, different kinds of second layer solutions for bitcoin it's like the light lightning network with where you kind of batch transactions together in yeah in, in different ways and on ethereum it's second layer protocols like uh, avalanche as an example these second layer protocols are the ones that will allow it to scale and to make sure that the transaction works uh, faster Uh, here are some other competitors like solana came in and solana said that yeah we can do all of this on the main chain so to speak but uh, the crypto community some of it some parts of it is struggling a little bit to to start adapting these faster newer protocols because kind of because of the risk of uh, it not working and that's why people still keep leaning towards bitcoin and ethereum as the layer one solutions i think when it comes to second layer uh, protocols on top of both bitcoin to make transactions faster uh, and easier more secure on ethereum second layer solutions we will be able to yeah we'll be able to scale it and to to make to make it yeah make it possible to to work on a day-to-day basis i think one of the other problems is private keys and so on if you if you have like ethereum in a mobile wallet and then you lose your mobile and then you also uh, have lost your seed phrase Mm-hmm. your 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 money is gone yeah yeah and things like that makes it quite hard for the average person to to really put in large sums of money into yeah. it without going through a third party like binance uh coinbase uh gemini and all of these exchanges so i think that the future will be some kind of for the at least over foreseeable one, a mixture of the centralized exchanges combined with the, yeah, using Bitcoin and Ethereum. And even though the prices are going down for Bitcoin and Ethereum right now, the usage is just going up and mm-hmm. applications is just going up. So I, I do think that over the coming coming months and years, we will see an, still an increase in the, uh, value for both Bitcoin and Ethereum, because the, u- the the users is what gives the currencies the long term value. And right now, you only see more and more people uh, investing and more and more people using it. Yeah. In relation to that example with you know the dog collar transaction, how far off do you think we are from? those kind of contracts becoming more used because right now gas fees alone would be too high for a simple, you know, to create that smart contract, it's more expensive than the exchange would be uh, typically. Uh, How far off do you think we are from those kind of everyday uses for an individual? And then also for those who aren't 
that tech oriented being able to easily just click a few buttons and create that smart contract with someone yeah so i think the decentralized which is basically when it's directly on the chain is probably a few years away but most of these things you can well most of like the loaning borrowing and the basic uh, things you can do and the staking so you're basically lending out your cryptocurrency most of these things you can already do on uh, both binance coinbase uh, and these centralized exchanges like on binance you can stake your coins which means basically you're loaning them out you can also use them as collateral to take out the loan and you can also uh, yeah do most of these things already on the on the centralized exchanges and then without any gas fees or these high extra fees um, so most things you can already do on the centralized exchanges i believe that in the coming years it will more and more grow to uh, also be used on decentralized exchanges DeFi, uh, which stands for decentralized fi finance uh, platforms are also growing so I think we're a few, maybe two, three years away from making it more user-friendly and and lower cost for transactions. But at the moment, if you want to do it, then you can go to, to Binance, for example, or Coinbase and start, well, using your crypto as collateral, staking it. So most of the, the basic things you can already do right now, but over the coming years, it will definitely be more user friendly to do uh, directly on the on the blockchain. Okay, so again, relating back to just the most simplistic example that I had said about the dog collar, how if somebody did do that exchange with just one on one, me to you, hey man, can you walk my dog for three miles, and the smart contract will kick in? How expensive is that to create a contract? And then I guess how easy is that to create a contract today? Well, when it comes to transactions today. There are some platforms that are creating like the basic templates for uh, contracts, but for these day-to-day -day things, there is still the human error aspect because how can I, how can a, how can a computer track that you actually walked it, mm -hmm. the dog, for example? So there, it's like the, still the human aspect that is uh, playing a role and. From using a contract today, um, I would say that it's quite... There are some platforms where you can do the basic ones. If you know some coding, you can do more advanced ones. Uh, but today, one of the, one of the like, fastest-growing businesses are smart contract audit companies. So people that audit contracts to make sure that this contract has no flaws, This the logic is in this contract is... Uh, is correct and it's uh, uh, and it's uh, yeah doable so when people do like a nft mint smart contract which is a quite complicated smart contract then they can pay tens of thousands of dollars or fifty thousand to a third party party audit to audit your smart contract and then uh, this third party will audit your contract and write a report of the basically how the contract is uh, 
structured and what are the potential risks with it and then they will grade it so if you have a more advanced smart, smart contract that is about larger sums of money you can easily pay thousands of dollars to go to a third party to audit it but um, on the more day-to-day -day uses there are some platforms where you can get yeah like basic templates uh, for them okay so practical applications of a gps tracking smart caller integrated into a smart contract maybe not there yet good to know speaking a bit further into nfts can you elaborate on what metadata is and maybe kind of tie it back into royalties in future uh, transactions one thing that where you can see in the crypto world is uh, people are uh, well artists artists tv shows actors influencers are starting to use nfts as a way of selling shares in a project uh, one example is nas he's like an american uh, rapper uh, what he did was that he uh, was going to release a new album and he wanted to uh, sell this album as nfts that that means that a certain percentage of the album he could for example use sell his album before it was out so basically his album was let's say this is just an example uh 50 of the royals fees for this album will be given out as dividends to all nft holders and this was a, a smart contract and then he sells all the nfts as uh, like one nft is one percent of the royalty fees mm. and then it's paid out in crypto as a dividends directly to the wallet that holds the nft wow uh, so that's kind of a one way of attaching uh, some value to an nft because that's usually how a company works so you own a share in a company then you get uh, a percentage of all of the profits uh, given out as dividends to the shareholder but what people are starting to do is that they are starting to do that with streaming rights some of them are also uh, doing it with uh, youtube i know a company that is also working on it's like selling ads revenue from YouTube videos. So you could, for example, buy a percentage of all ad revenue that this video is going to create over the coming five years. And that kind of allows the influencer to be paid upfront mm -hmm. while the, uh, the audience and the the fans of the influencer or the YouTuber are also feels like they are part of that. They are part of like the, growth. Yeah, the channel, the show. Yeah. So yeah, people are starting to attach more things to the NFTs and yeah, here with here comes like a, a risk, but it's, um, and that is with NFTs being classified as securities, especially in the United States, because then there is a lot of more regulation about who can sell NFTs. So 
it will be very interesting to see what how it will be. Yeah, that's exactly where my mind went considering it's a really good opportunity for uh, early stage startups or early stage, you know, innovators, influencers to get that capital that would other be otherwise be very difficult uh, in you having to navigate regulation via, you know, stocks for your corporation or just venture capital at the very beginning, especially over here in Europe, where it's definitely much more difficult to obtain early stage capital. But you know, government's always got to get their share. Um, how do you see the regulatory environment of blockchain technology over here in Europe progressing in the next few years, maybe comparatively to the US or just specifically over here? Yeah, the thing in Europe is that it's like a competition between, so the whole way Europe is set up is all countries makes most of the rules themselves. And then we have some central rules that is coming from the European Union, kind of like directives, but it's still quite a lot up to each individual country. Mm -hmm. What that leads to is that um, countries are incentivized to welcome technology. Even though it might hurt some countries, it's still like a competition on embracing new technology and that you can see in Malta, Estonia, Portugal, uh, France now as well are working to embrace it because they see that their own country can benefit from using the technology. So that is a good thing. So I think that Countries are also scared of being left behind. So I definitely see that um, more and more countries will maybe not clamp down too like, heavily on regulating it and seeing a little bit where it goes. And then with countries like uh, yeah, Estonia, uh, Malta, and some of these countries really embracing it, it makes it hard for other countries to say, no, we are going to, uh, we are going to, heavily regulated so i think right now we're in a phase where it's like a little bit wait and see i know that for us as a business as well we have gotten quite strict like anti-money laundering and, and know your customer requirements so whenever we work with a new client we need to ask for identification proof of proof of address, photo ID, and then they also need to fill out some questions if a person is like a politically uh, connected person, as well as having more strict contracts uh, from our end to make sure that we are in the clear. So I think it will be more transparency and more of like identification and so on. And that's something that we work yeah, we, we have to work with quite strictly. But I don't think it would be regulated too much on the on the other side of it, more than making sure that everybody is identified that are working in the industry. There's there's probably a bit of a incentive beyond that of just technological innovation as well for Europe specifically to pivot from this central US dollar 
currency, uh, global currency, whereas the U.S. wants to pivot the other way to prevent that. So I don't know. The, the attitude I've gotten for Europe in uh, crypto is it's much more embraced. But moving on from that, how would one who doesn't have that influence of being famous, maybe selling tweets like Dorsey does or uh, beautiful pieces of artwork, invest in this space and reap the benefits of what would some say is inevitable growth? I think that right now there's a lot of hype around uh, around images and these crypto punks, board apes, and NFTs that where their main utility is that it looks cool it's art and so on i think that quite a lot of these projects will probably not be here or in the coming in a few years probably some uh, bigger ones but i would look for projects and nfts that have actual utilities that you're after and that can be in the united states they're also opening up a restaurant that is only there for NFT holders. So, for example, you have to have the NFT to be able to come into it. So, like uh-huh. people creating clubs around it. Um, or if you have the NFT, you get a discount at the restaurant, or the NFT allows you to get tickets to this place, gets you part of the streaming rights. It it gives you some sort of like an access real or world. some sort of real world application. I think that that is where we are heading. Mm-hmm. And if you can understand the value of the real world application that you're getting from it, for example, Gary V's NFTs costs around uh, $40,000 each. Jeez. But they give you access to three tickets to his conferences. And these conferences usually costed around, I think it depends on what kind of ticket you got, but they costed a few thousand each, just mm-hmm. the tickets. And then you also can go to his private Discord channels and community, community meetups and so on. Then you can kind of get an, a, an idea of what the utility value is of the NFT. So I would say start looking for NFTs that are uh, that have different kinds of utilities and then try to match the utility with the real world value. And I think that that is where we should where we should be looking. Or if it's an artist you really like and you want to support the artist, then you can absolutely look into getting some of their NFT works because yeah. then it's also like the more the more then you're maybe not just doing it from the financial aspect, then you're doing it more from like the artistic aspect, which is another thing. But um, if you want to invest, go where the utilities are. If you are doing it from a more artistic way, then find artists you like and support them. Cool. Uh, so, Tim, I know that you are uh, tight on time here, so I just kind of wanted to wrap up with a few questions. If you could touch really quickly on what marketplaces you'd recommend um, for projects and NFTs, like wh- what is kind of the main ones? I know you said you were on OpenSea. Um, are there any that you'd stay away from or maybe just some that you'd recommend? Right, the new, right now, the two largest ones are, well, it's OpenSea and Rarible. 
Um, I know OpenSea was in a little bit of controversy a few days ago because it was some, um, they were doing a migration with all of the, like their smart contract to a new version. And what somebody did then was that they sent out fake emails and then, uh, so like uh, in the in the tech world, it's called a phishing attack. So they went in and a lot of people lost a lot of money from yeah. it uh, because they clicked on the wrong link and then logged into the wrong site, which was a fake site. And so I think OpenSea, Rarible are two of the main ones. Uh, then the exchanges all are working with their own platforms. Uh, I have been in like working some with the Binance own mm -hmm. platform. Uh, very easy to use, very user-friendly. When it comes to smaller ones, uh, I would recommend everybody to do your own research and make sure that it's an, like a real platform. Because if you, for example, transfer your NFT, connect your wallet to the wrong platform, you can lose all your money. Yeah all your crypto, all your NFTs. So very careful with going to new platforms. Uh, OpenSea, Rarible, and the exchanges are the most um, trusted ones. And those are the ones I would go for. Cool. Uh, so Tim, first off, thank you for all the time. I ask one question to all my guests, um, so I got to ask it. If you could take all your life experiences and give someone one piece of advice that you've learned from all those experiences, what would that piece of advice be? You don't, you don't have to like new technology, but learn to love it. Okay. A lot of people are scared. They're saying it's just, it's it's a scam. It's going away. It's da, da, da. you don't have to like it, but you have to learn how to live with it and adapt to it. Because otherwise, a lot of people will be left behind. Yeah, that's like uh, when emails were a thing in the '90s, and everyone was like, "What?" And now, obviously, it's essential. So, yeah, new technologies, cool. Yeah, because. A lot of people have also incentives to not like it, like people working in yeah. maybe in some banking aspects, in some art aspects, in different aspects. You don't have to like it. You don't have to like it, but learn about it and learn to learn to like it. Because otherwise, a lot of people will be left behind. And uh, yeah, I would say that that's that. And then lastly, obviously, you have a heap of knowledge in the crypto space, your own marketing company. Where can people find you and how do they reach out to you if they're interested in getting in contact with you? I think the best way is Twitter. Uh, my name there is Tim Halderson. Uh, just shoot me a DM or send a tweet and we can see what we can work out. Cool. All right, Tim, thank you so much for your time, man. And I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for, for having me and have an, have an awesome day. Cheers, man. And that wraps up another episode of Thoughts of a Random Citizen. If you guys are familiar with Torque United or Thoughts of a Random Citizen, you'll know that we want to enable entrepreneurs, freelancers, digital nomads, and investors to better collaborate and network with one another to implement their innovations around the world. 
If that seems like something that you're interested in, being a freelancer, a startup founder, an entrepreneur who is interested in not only traveling the world, but networking with a group of investors, head over to Torque United, reach out to us and let us know so we can include you on the upcoming platform that we're in the process of developing. And if I can give any bit of advice, I would say the world is a beautiful freaking place and you shouldn't spend it all in one place. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week. And that wraps up another episode of Thoughts of a Random Citizen. Thank you, everyone, so much for tuning back in. For those who are new listeners, welcome. And I appreciate you joining. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and our guest today. If you are new and you're doing anything remote, be sure to check out Citizen Remote. It is fantastic if you're already traveling the world. It's a great app to join a very quickly growing community. It's a great tool for those who are just about to begin traveling and figuring out how to navigate that, especially if you work remotely. It's a fantastic platform and we continue to build more and more tools for you guys week in and week out. Otherwise, if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking for tools or assistance with the next steps of you know what you need to do with your startup, or if you're looking for software development, network connections, reach out to us at Torque United. Otherwise, if you're just tuning in for the conversations, Thank you. That's why I love doing what I'm doing. Keep tuning in and actually keep a lookout for the not-for-profit that we're about to open up. You know, its main focus is going to be on international collaboration and helping build a borderless world because it's something that I'm very passionate about. That's why I'm not only doing Torque United, but Citizen Remote as well. Really exciting stuff on that horizon. Please keep up to date with all of that stuff, the not-for-profit and entrepreneurial side of things at Torque United. But again, If you're traveling the world, check out Citizen Remote. If you're wanting to travel the world, if you're a remote worker, check out Citizen Remote. Check out the app we've built for you guys. Check out the platform we've built. It's only growing every single week. So hopefully you guys will take part in that with us. Otherwise, I will speak with everyone in a fortnight. Until then, cheers. Cheers.